0: Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you today here at Hillcrest. I'm Pastor Brad Burkfalk. I am the interim lead pastor here, and it, uh, I've been with you now for six weeks. Wow, it seems like I've been here a lot longer than that, and uh, time flies when you're having fun. Thank you to those of you who have reached out to me over the past few weeks for Zoom calls, dinners on our deck, uh, getting to know you phone calls. Roxy and I are grateful for your thoughtful efforts to help us settle in in here in Prairie Village and Overland Park under these uh, unusual circumstances. I guess that's the best that can be said. In this season of life and ministry, I am on a huge. Steep learning curve uh, about technology and about video and about interacting through Zoom. This is not something that they taught me in seminary. You know, I, I talk to some of my pastor friends, and we all kind of laugh. You know, at, at this stage in life, we shouldn't have to be learning all this new stuff. But I am glad for technology that enables us to approximate some world life encounters, real life encounters, uh, through the computer screen. But I, for one, will be glad when I can look you in the eye, when I can laugh with you, when I don't have to be concerned anymore about whether I've unmuted my computer in order to speak. These are some things I'll be glad uh, when we are finished with that. So today we are beginning a new sermon series that I am in calling An Unhurried Life, or Unhurried, if you will. And for most of us, up until a few weeks ago, the thought of living an unhurried life was more probably of a fleeting thought. The thought of having a slower pace, of of relaxing a little bit, of maybe not uh, cramming our daily schedule with so many activities uh, was something that we thought about and then we went right back into the pace that we were used to. If you're like me, you may have approached the idea of a more unhurried life only to find yourself sort of rushing back into that life that you've already become accustomed to. It works and you rush from here to there to there to there and, and so on. So, so here's the question that I want to bring you this morning, uh, as we begin to think about this idea of becoming unhurried in the way that we approach our life. How did we get in such a hurry? Why do we engage in a pace of life that we don't really enjoy? What, what will it take for us to stop the busyness of our lives in order to adopt a more unhurried pace of life that is filled with joy and meaningful conversations and relationships and, and ministry for the sake of others? What's it going to take? It's going to take a coronavirus isolation. That's what it's going to take. You see, the underlying premise of this entire series of sermons that we're going to engage in together for the next few weeks is that even though we are experiencing various stresses as a result of the coronavirus shutdown, God, I believe, has offered us an incredible gift, an incredible opportunity. We have been given the opportunity to stop all of the busyness and reflect on what matters most. We've been offered the space to think, to pray, and perhaps even dream about living life at a much slower pace. There are three myths, however, that accompany our busy life that we um, either explicitly or implicitly buy into. And when you hear me state these three myths, Uh, They may seem obvious to you at first, yet these three myths hold us in a grip of busyness that many of us can't seem to set aside. These myths continue to occupy our lives as if they are true, and they aren't. So here's the first myth. The faster I go, the more I get done. Do do you... uh, Live like that, the faster I go, the more I I can cram into my 24-hour day. You see, this is based on the premise that because we all have a limited amount of time, the more activity we cram into our day, or into our life for that matter, the more we will accomplish and the more successful we will become. Yes, speed is important if we are measuring our lives by the content of the day. But what if God, what if God doesn't measure the value of our life by the amount of stuff that we get done or the amount of things that we cram into a 15 or 16 or 17 hour day? What if? The second myth, technology gives us more time for leisure. This is a myth that has been around with us since the advent of computers. This myth suggests that the more technology-efficient our lives become, the more time we have left over to do the stuff we want. Now, while it may uh, be true that computers do increase the efficiency of our lives and our work, it is not true that we use that extra time for other things. Most of us just work longer and harder using the technology. Myth number three. If I hurry now, I will have more time for things that matter later. This myth is interesting because it seems like it might be true but it's a cousin to the other two myths that I've just stated. It, it, it views time as a commodity that, if, that we can bank it somehow, and if we bank it now, we can somehow withdraw it later. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but time stops for no one. So if these, if these myths are true for you, What strategy can we employ that will help us to live a more unhurried life? And and so to, to answer that question, I think one of the first strategies that we need to consider this morning is that living an unhurried life involves eliminating hurry from our lives. I like what John Ortberg says when he says this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The critical word here for me is the word ruthlessly. Hurry isn't gonna disappear all on its own. Hurry isn't going to do any of us any favors and automatically make space for us to slow down. Hurry isn't gonna do that. The only way that we're gonna be able to approach living this unhurried life that I'm talking about is by being ruthless with the hurried pace that we are now living by actually sitting down, perhaps with our calendar, with our spouse, with our kids and say, you know what, I don't have time in my schedule for us to do all these things. You know, it's kind of like uh, when you have to face the reality of cleaning out your garage. You can stand there and you can be paralyzed by the junk that that is occupying the space where your car used to fit. And you can envision in your head what your garage might look like when the car is neatly parked inside, but until you ruthlessly remove the junk, you'll never be able to get your, ha- your car in the garage. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, gentlemen, if I've, I've hit a sore spot uh, for your spouses, and maybe it's time you clean out your garage. Maybe it's time to be ruthless with getting rid of some of the junk. So the first strategy then to becoming a more uh, 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 slow and unhurried pace uh, person is to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The second strategy for adopting an unhurried life comes from the psalmist, Psalm 46:10, where the psalmist says, and you know this psalm, I'm sure, the psalmist says, "Be still and know that I am God." This psalm begins with the psalmist assuring the people of God that when the world is falling apart, when it feels like the mountains are, are falling into the sea, when floodwaters are rising, it is there in the midst of that uncertainty and craziness that we need not be afraid because God is present and God is with us in the midst of all of the turmoil and all in the midst of all of the craziness. And then the psalmist points out that God is not only present in sort of in general terms but God is, is present here and now in the very place where you live. The psalmist describes that God is, is present in the holy city and because God is present in the holy city the city will not fall. Now this is a direct reference to the city of Jerusalem and even as the occupants of Jerusalem are filled with fear because the w- warring nations around them, God um, God, his voice brings comfort to those who are afraid. And God's voice causes those who create the, co- the chaos on the outside to melt in fear. That's what, that's what the psalmist says. And then finally, uh, the psalmist ends Psalm 46 by concluding, uh, by saying this. He invites the people of God to come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done. Come and see that God's presence is true, it's sure. Come and see that the God who calls you by his name will not let you be destroyed. And then this is where we read, be still and know that I am God. And I will be honored among all of the nations. I will be honored in the earth. One commentator suggests that another way to interpret the idea of being still is to understand it as a letting go, of a releasing. Let go of your desire to be viewed as successful because that might be what's actually driving you to this crazy paced life that you lead. Let go of your need for a bigger bank account. Let go of your hubris about how important you are. Let go be still, pay attention, and know that God is still God, and you're not. God is the one who will be honored among the nations as we begin to do this. The parallel that I see between the experience of the people of Israel in this psalm and our own experience is really quite remarkable. Yet the truth of God's abiding presence in Jerusalem, or here in Overland Park, Kansas, it's the same. It's in the middle of the storm that the psalmist invites us to be still and know that God is God. It is when the earth is still quaking and the rivers are still rising that the psalmist directs our gaze to the one who in the still moments wants to remind us that God will not let us go. Let that sink in for a moment. God will not let us go. If we want to live an unhurried life, we must first ruthlessly remove the hurry, and next we need to stop and be reminded that God is still God even in the midst of the storm. The spiritual writer Kathleen Norris writes about hurry like this. She says... Much of the restless boredom, frantic escapism, commitment phobia, and enervating despair that plague us today is the ancient demon of Ascidia in modern dress. Ascidia is the Latin term for one of the seven deadly sins that we know as sloth. When we hear the word sloth, we may think that someone is slow-witted or lazy, But there is a more sinister meaning to this word than that. As Norris suggests, the demon of acedia or sloth is the sin of restless boredom, frantic escapism, fear of making a commitment. In short, it is the sin of not caring. In essence, a hurried life doesn't have time to care. And the only remedy that I know for a life that doesn't have time to care, is to allow Jesus to heal us, to to sort through the junk, to make space in our life, and to help us deal with that temptation of carelessness or sloth. Jesus understands the temptation of a hurry-up life. Jesus knows well the risk of allowing busyness to distract us from our relationship with the Father. That's why he says, very truly I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. That's from John chapter 5, verse 17 and following. Jesus could have led a life without acknowledging the presence and power of his Father, but he didn't. Jesus addressed the temptation to busyness by recognizing his own dependency upon God and by not engaging in the activities that his father wasn't asking him to engage in. You know, sometimes we view Jesus' ministry of teaching and and healing through our own lenses of busyness. But if you actually look closely at the pace of Jesus' life, he didn't hurry anywhere. He knew what the Father was calling him to do, and he went about his life content to do that. Jesus was never overcome by the tyranny of the urgent, as they say. I suspect that if you are like me, you might find yourself even now busy with all kinds of activities. You have filled in all the places that you had initially when we got shut down and had to stay home. And if you're like me, most of those activities are good and perhaps even important. You gotta have this Zoom call with this, with this person because if you don't, then something else isn't gonna work out. Yet, when you, when you get to the end of your day and you, and you have that brief moment to reflect on your day from, from the time your head hits your pillow until you fall asleep, however long that period of time is, you recognize that in the busyness you have Uh, not been able to engage in the relationships that are important to you. You've not been able to follow the promptings of the Father. Rather, the busyness in your life has been what has prompted you to continue to be busy. The hurry up life that you are living has not been in service to God's kingdom but it emanates from that restless boredom or frantic escapism that keeps you distracted long enough that you don't have to deal with your own issues, your own pain, your own sadness. Now, if you find yourself right now nodding in agreement with what I'm saying, I've got good news for you. You do not have to continue to feed the monster of busyness. You do not have to pack your schedule with one activity after another to prove your worth as a parent. You don't have to work your fingers to the bone to prove your value to your employer. The reason is is because we can be all of those things without selling our souls to a life of incessant busyness. We can have time for our kids and for our spouses and for ourselves by ruthlessly removing the hurry of our life, by being still and letting go and resting in the presence of God in our lives. I don't know how this hits you today, but I, uh, let's give this a try let's Let's see what happens. Would you be willing to take a step towards ruthlessly eliminating the busyness from your life? start start by just taking a breath and as you breathe in, imagine yourself breathing in that that Calm and serene pace that Jesus models for us. And as you breathe out, imagine yourself uh, breathing out the, the craziness, the activity, the compulsions, all of the things that have compelled you to lead such a busy life. And in the midst of doing this breathing exercise with me, imagine that God is with you right there. God's presence is in the midst of all of the activity. God is willing to help you reorganize your life so that you can become more unhurried in the way that you engage your life. You see, I'm convinced that the new normal doesn't have to look anything like the normal that we just came out of. And one of the ways we can make sure that that's true is by adopting an unhurried life now while we have some space in our life to do that. I'm gonna pray in a minute, but before I do, I would like you to consider some questions. Perhaps you can speak with uh, somebody who's sitting in the room with you right now about these questions, or maybe if you're alone, um, you can just uh, contemplate them as you, as you sit there for a moment. And if you want to speak about these questions in particular, uh, I will be hosting a Zoom conversation immediately following this service, where we can explore these questions together. And you can join that conversation on Zoom by uh, going to the uh, front page of the Hillcrest website. But here are the questions that I want you to consider today. Identify the times and circumstances when you feel most hurried. And what is it about those circumstances that, that makes you feel that way? Second, describe a time when you deliberately slowed down What did that feel like? Is there a way that you can recreate that? And the third question, what is one place you would ask God to help you ruthlessly remove hurry from your life? See, I'm convinced that God has given us a great gift in this time that we find ourselves in. And if we pay attention to these questions, and begin to think about the unhurried life that God ultimately wants us to lead, that this will be a wonderful opportunity for each of us to reprioritize our lives and to begin to think differently about uh, the craziness that we've come out of. Let's pray together. God, I know that it's way easier said than done to uh, eliminate hurry from our lives when you're uh, alone in your place, wherever that is or if your kids are grown up and you don't have the stresses and strains of trying to uh, homeschool and manage the schedules of the family while you are also trying to complete your, your responsibilities at work and all the other social needs that one might have, I know how hard that is. But I also know, God, and believe from the bottom of my heart that you want us to live qualitatively differently from the craziness and the rush of our culture. And so my prayer is that today, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper together, that you would give us relentless courage to deal with our hurried lives in such a way that we can experience all the things that we want to experience, but we can do it with that connectedness and that dependence upon God. We offer ourselves to you, God, today and give us strength for tomorrow and the day after that to make those ruthless decisions that we know we need to make if we want to begin to lead this kind of unhurried life. Lord, help us to breathe in your spirit so that we can breathe out the hurry and experience the very presence of God, uh, even in that very simple act. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.